Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Playful Humans podcast. I'm your host, Mike Montague, and my guest this week is a play professional and author of Return to Play. It's Brandy Heather. Say hi, Brandy. Hey, Mike. How are you? Never trust anybody with two first names. We'll come back to that here in a second, though. The show is brought to you by Playful Humans. If you need a little more fun, flow, fulfillment in your life, check out playfulhumans.com. We have a community there where we transform the burned out and bored into the empowered and engaged. And you can take a personality quiz, playfulhumans.com slash quiz. Find Brandy at amped2play.com. Start out with the joke of the week. The joke of the week is brought to you by March. Now with more madness, enjoy March today. Uh, what do you call cheese you haven't paid for yet? You know, Brandy? I don't know. What do you call it, Mike? Nacho cheese. All right. There you go. <laughs> That's bad. Try that one with your friends and family this week. That's an old joke, but it is absolutely one of my favorites. I've been saving it uh, in the can here. So, uh, Brandy. Tell me about being a play professional. You do diversity, inclusion, and play training for companies, individuals, all kinds of different organizations. What in the world? I did, you know, most people might not even know that's a thing. Obviously, there's diversity and inclusion training, but what is the play part of that? Well, it's interesting, Mike. Thanks for having me today. This is this is exciting for me. I guess the fundamental premise is that we're taking this thing called play which is different for everyone. So when I say play to people, people have all sorts of different ideas about what it is. And the thing about play is it's really personal. And so the foundation of, of yeah, a lot of background and research and, and certificates and education and all those pieces really comes down to a lot of the things that we learned when we were kids are still things that we need to... Uh, both survive and thrive as we kind of move forward in our lives. And one of the things that we're starting to see is this, and we have seen, is this decrease in play, this kind of unrestricted, uncensored kind of play in which kids, for example, can play without structure, without organization and management and and what we've done, unfortunately, is we've taken uh, these kids and we've put them in these wonderfully safe, you know, sterile environments. And then what happens is when we create change or there's chaos or all of those things that that are pretty natural parts of our life, those all feel really scary. And one of exactly. the big things is we were less resilient to change now. So the change that might have caused us to be really anxious 20 years ago is now actually the change that makes us really anxious in a moment. And that can be differences in people and how they communicate and how they move and who they are and, and where they come from. All of those things are differences that we become less, we be, actually become less inclusive because that is one of the fundamental things we need. 
and and play well, where we find it. Yeah, I think that's huge. I've heard a, a stat that like people get more information now in a day than they got in like 10 years, you know, 50, 100 years ago. And, and so there is just so much change and evolution and things are getting faster and faster. Obviously, we don't have to tell anybody about the disruption and change that's gone on for the last 12 months. But it's also interesting at the same time, we keep systematizing things and automating things. And, and like you said, just sterilizing stuff so that we can't adapt to all of this stuff. So we're changing things and we're lowering our ability to communicate, our ability to deal with stress, our ability to be creative and see solutions outside the box, that it really is a, a problem. But tell me about the upside so we don't uh, you know, depress the hell out of everybody at the beginning of a play podcast. Uh, <laughs> You, you know obviously what? have some solutions to this, right? I do. Well, you know what? <laughs> the, the upside is this, Mike. It doesn't matter where we travel in the world. People play. It For me, it's one of the fundamental universal languages. We actually don't need language to share it, any of those things. Yeah. So play is really one of those centrally, you know, it binds us to our humanity. Um, we can travel anywhere and see it. We can travel anywhere and feel it. And we know when we're in it. I think that's the thing. People ask me all the time, like, how do how do I know it was play? And it's like, if you, if you feel like you were free to choose, it was your time. You didn't check your cell phone to check. Oh my goodness. What time is it? And it was kind of timeless. A moment in which you were like totally enraptured, you were in play and it doesn't need anyone else's, you know, it really doesn't need anyone else's opinion. You don't have to go to Facebook for it. And actually the funniest thing is, that it's really hard to capture on camera. So we're always trying, I think in, you know, in social media, we're always trying to capture what play looks like. And it's like, actually, most of the time, we're too busy to take a picture of it. Like, you should be, yeah, you should be, you too, should busy. be too busy to pull out your phone and take a selfie. It, this is the moment where you love it so much that you don't take out your camera and yeah. people around you absorb it. Like, just think about Mike, when was the last time you were like having so much fun that even the people around you couldn't, you know, couldn't help themselves except to be like, oh, this is so much fun. Yeah, well, I happened to uh, get a gig hosting virtual game shows uh, over the holidays for for company parties. And it's really fun. And I get so lost in it. I'm putting on different wigs and mustaches and dressing up as the different game show hosts. And I'm laughing and they're trying to come up with the answers to the quizzes and everybody's just in the moment. And that's the beauty part of it. And sometimes we record those things on Zoom because they're virtual, but that's not the point. We don't even share them or it's just meant to be for the moment. So I like the ones where we don't record and I can say, hey guys, whatever you say stays here. Uh, We're not worried about what we look like because we're not recording. So only the people in this meeting are ever going to know how much fun we had. Let's have as much as we can, right? I think those are our special moments. You said something right there about recording it. And for me, I've always thought this because I was a, a DJ too. And I hosted karaoke shows in my twenties. And when people force fun, when they try to be like new year's Eve is going to be the best night ever. That is always when it's the lamest. It's like, that's way too much pressure for fun. You got to relax and let it evolve and, and get lost in it. Not try to force it and record it and curate it and make sure everything's smooth. Wedding DJ was the same thing, right? I always told brides and grooms, like, you, look, we can put all the planning and prep into this and make sure it's everything that you want before. But when it comes to the day of the wedding, it is what it is. You got to let it go and just enjoy the party. Do not try to force anything there or you're going to ruin it. Well, I'm going to tell you something. So in my book, Return to Play, 
I, I got the opportunity to interview some pretty incredible people. Um, and one of them was Seth Godin. Love Seth. Yeah. Seth Godin um, took 20 minutes out of his day and we had a Zoom call and we talked all things play. And Seth Godin will tell you that, and you can read some of his work in my book. Um, he will tell you that the last TED Talk that he did, they put so much pressure on him to, you know, for it to be perfect and and for it to be a certain way and so much pressure on it that he lost his play. And mm -hmm. like he said, at the end of it, when we lose our play, the audience doesn't get what they need. The pe you know, the people outside don't get what they need. And so, you know, he was really clear about the fact that that play is kind of this space in which we are our best selves. And so that's that's really what I do. I, I come into an organization and I help them remember that some of the key skills that they have actually didn't uh, get listed on their resume. Some yeah, of the key skills cool. they have are really fundamentally underneath and, and rarely shared, and especially in the work environment. And one of the first things that we need to do is actually come to a place where we can all realize that our differences actually make us hugely strong, not completely from a, you know, siloed space like disability and culture and race and sexual orientation, all those things. Actually, fundamentally, our play skills are the ones that we that we share and make us wonderfully unique. And so if we can kind of come from that playful space, then we can talk about some of the even more difficult things to talk about. But we've come from a place where we start to understand and know each other and feel like people belong. Then I can talk about inclusion. And then I can talk about diversity and I can go from there. So that's what I do. I, I come in and I work as a, as a coach for businesses and organizations and nonprofits and educators and schools. And I think that's awesome. I want to ask you about your career here in a second, but I wanted to reiterate what you said about the resume because that really resonated with me. I kind of uh, polish mine up from time to time and I can add cool things on there. Like I've opened for Billy Idol or Frankie Valley or my podcast got a million downloads or whatever. Those are fun things, but I don't think that describes who I am or the playful spirit of those things, of what those mean, right? And it, it is one of those weird things that if you say you're fun, you're not fun. Uh, comedians say that all the time, right? If you have to tell somebody you're funny, you're not funny, you would have just said something funny and made them laugh, right? So do you find that with play too and some of these creative things that you, if you're coaching somebody else, you would say like, you have to demonstrate your awesomeness uh, or you have to be playful, not say you're playful. But that is kind of a weird just tension there, right? Well, it's funny because I can't tell you the amount of pushback you get in very serious spaces, right? And uh, when people say, oh, you, you know, you've hired a play expert to come in and work with your company. And so actually the first thing that we have to kind of get over is ourselves um, mm -hmm. because we, uh, we spend so much time in this kind of ego space that says work is not play. Work is you know, meant to be a very serious thing uh, in which we are, you know, dedicated and and fundamentally passionate about. But what we lose in some of that standardization and and that ego is we we come up against things like how does your organization play? And people would say, well, we don't play. We work here. And right, right? like there's a really there's a yeah. really clear wall. And actually, getting over the wall is my favorite task to do because that wall is actually a fear of being seen as anything less than this, this professional, anything polished, yeah. less than polished or perfect and, and those pieces. So 
My favorite wall to climb with people and organizations is that one that says, I I don't play, or I have no idea how that can fit in my organization. That's my favorite thing for people to say. Yeah. And I, I guess you you hit another thing there for me that I think is interesting. I, I've heard the word status and that's another Seth Godin thing. So I'm a huge fan. You said like, you know, two of my favorite words there together. <laughs> I, I saw him speak at ATD last January before all hell broke loose. I, I had to sneak backstage and use some of my uh, ninja sales skills to get to meet him, but I got to meet him and take a picture and it was so much fun. He's one of my favorite people, but talking about the status there is that's one of the great things about play is it's almost like uh, an equating to sexual harassment and stuff that you talk about. Like there can't be status differences in play. If somebody's like, Hey, if you beat me at this game, you lose your job. Well, that's not going to be fun for anybody, right? That's not play. That's, that's like a task from your, your boss that's work then. Right. Uh, And so I think that is really interesting too, that it does free up people from different backgrounds, different statuses and things. If you're truly playing a free game with the same rules, that's a special moment in our community. Well, and I think it, it, you know, Simon Sinek's doing a ton of work and just put out a book on on the infinite yeah, game, right? Again, our lives, if we live them in that kind of finite game process, um, there's always a winner and a loser. And the great thing about play is that it is it is an open space where we don't have to dedicate who's who's better or who's worse. But it's a wonderful space to learn from. So I'll give you an example. If you come into one of my play trainings, I often, well, I do all sorts of things, a little bit like your, <laughs> a little bit like your DJ experience. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I might do is is put a ball of clay in front of everyone and and then try and talk about, you know, very detailed, structured things. And most people in the room, it doesn't matter who it is, can be play professionals. Most people in the room are more concerned about what I'm going to ask them to do with the ball of clay than anything else that's in their head. If I put crayons in front of them, if I put paint in front of them, they're all so worried about what's going to happen next and who's going to see and what what will be assumed about what I know or don't know. And if I'm an artist and they put all sorts of titles on it. And, and from that point, man, I, I can, I can take you to a thousand places from there because yeah. our fear of getting our hands in and being messy or not good at something or not know what's next is actually a skill we need to build because we're not as humans, we're not becoming more resilient to the things that, that change us and things that are different from us. We're actually becoming less resilient because we've created all these wonderfully safe places where somebody always catches us. And right. we've forgotten how to, you know, fall down and kind of like brush our hands off and say, Whew, I'm going to try again. Like, yeah. Yeah. And plays exactly where you learn that. And and that's even, um, I'm sure you've read the research by like Dr. Stuart Brown and stuff. That's how animals oh, play. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, we yeah. all, you know, across the world speak ball, but uh, other species speak play too. You can play with your cat or your dog. They know how to play and you don't have to be able to communicate with them. I think that's so huge, but that's how we as animals on this planet learn our boundaries. We learn, you know, how high we can jump, how far we can run and stuff and, and push limits before somebody else gets mad and all these great societal things that people are losing, right? Even communication and working as a team and all that stuff is much easier to learn when there's not pressure on it to be perfect or to perform. Or if you don't get this project in on time, you're, you're going to, you know, get in trouble or mark on your permanent record. Uh, None of that allows for creativity and failure. And, and if you think about it, 
some of our greatest societal challenges, disease, poverty, homelessness, all of those pieces need a creative and innovative solution. But if we stay in this kind of afraid to try space or always being in this protective space, the chances that we're going to risk having an answer that no one has had before or bring to the table ideas no one has thought of before, that's a really frightening space if you think all the time that you're going to be judged or seen. And so even the guts to change the world, even the guts to try and fix homelessness, whether that whether that solution is obvious or creative. I mean, who's got the guts to say I have an answer for that question. Right. And and so I think some of our greatest societal challenges come from the inability to to risk. Again, I yeah. think we, you know, I, I think we need to start at, at zero and go to 105 or 10 or whatever that is, right? Because, you know, we we often do to children what we do to our adult parents as they get older, right? It's like we just become more and more protective. And yeah. it's like, oh, don't do that because you might get lost. Don't do that because you might fall down. Don't do that. It's like, oh my goodness, right. this is the time of your life. Go. This is where you do need to take those risks and do those things you've never done. And so I love those quotes. Like we spend the first two years of your life trying to get you to stand and talk. And then the next 98 telling you to sit up, shut up and sit down. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I think like that is so true for me. And I think uh, you said too, old people and, and any, anybody else, like it's just, you kind of get beat down by all the rules and people telling you, you have to to fit in and follow along. And that's not fun for anybody. But um, I wanted to ask you about your career, because I think as a play professional, that is one of those gutsy things where did you go straight to this? Did you have like a quote, real job? Did you find other playful things along the way? Like, how did you, how did your career path go? It's funny because people often say, oh, that's really cool. That sounds really neat. What's your real job? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. What do you really do? Um, it's even better when your kids say it though, to other people, they're like, Oh, what does your mom do? And they're like, she's in play. It's like, no, no. What does she do? What does she do play? <laughs> yeah. So actually it's really funny, Mike, cause uh, it's kind of a lifetime of play pieces. Right. So yeah. uh, my, my play actually started in um, teaching. I, I always wanted to teach. And so I became a teacher and then I became a a teacher in post-secondary. So I was a college professor for 21 years, but I was kind of a weird college professor. I was in kinesiology and sports studies. So kind of anatomy and physiology and biomechanics and those kinds of pieces. I was really interested in movement, but I was really interested in movement from this point of inclusion. So I taught adapted physical activity for 20 plus years at the college level and I realized over time that my toolkit was actually play. So I could I could move a class of 200 students from, oh my goodness, I've never worked with someone with a disability to, oh my goodness, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I could actually move them through that in a place that didn't shame them for where they came from or to or what their, you know, what their background was or what they thought about people with disabilities and actually move them to a place where it was like, oh my goodness, this is this is a real opportunity. And so, yeah, for 20 years, I was kind of this uh, college professor that didn't fit. So down a hallway, uh, if you can imagine on both sides, I would have like these high performance coaches and, and exercise physiology, anatomy, 
experts and so all down this hallway and I was always kind of this out of place um, but wonderfully uh, out of place person in which you could always come to my office for play-doh plaster paint clay right I had everything and that's how I that's how I taught so I taught using a medium no one had kind of even thought of no one had been like what we're going to do is you know take artistic materials and we're going to teach communication or you know, biomechanics or those kinds of things. So yeah, that's where I came from as a college professor. And then I, I, when I realized, okay, you know, my background was really in disability inclusion and especially with families. And, and I can tell you that the probably the most important thing I learned ever was from children with disabilities, because if you think about children and families um, with children who are living with disabilities, they are faced every day with, with ever changing situations. They are the best adapters ever. They are in constant adaptation mode. And kids with disabilities are often faced with this, like that really bubble wrap of like, don't go out, don't do that. I don't want you to get hurt. I don't, you know, I always want you to be safe. And so in that, in that kind of progression, I I ran children's programming on the weekends and family programming on the weekends. And the kids would teach me that in my space, they were able to do anything. Like they were just more capable. Families felt yeah. more connected. And that's what I tried to teach my students too. And, and students still come back and say, like what you taught us was more valuable than any textbook ever could because I really did take students back to community and say, hmm, you need to watch like and see these these are some of the best lessons you're going to get. So, uh, yeah, I totally agree with that. And I can relate to a lot of that story of coming up with play pieces of the career and, and being willing to, to have fun and be a little gutsy when you're not doing necessarily a play role. So I've always just wanted to have fun and be the class clown, no matter what job I happen to have. Uh, so I would, uh, when I was a web designer, I would prank people and stuff or tease my, my friends and stuff. Cause you can, you can buy any domain name. So, you know, I can, I can be John by John's being a jerk today.com and, and set up a website and just send it to him and, him and have some fun. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I think all that stuff is really relatable to me. And, and I wanted to ask you about the book because you've been doing this for a long time, but I think the book's new, right? And yeah, so yeah, the book's new. that and what, what's the message in the book? So I, I, I stopped being a college professor. I guess maybe you never stop being a teacher, but I, I yeah. left the college world in 2018 and I, I co-founded a company called Amp to Play, which is what you can connect to. We have a, an ISO Love Play Box that can be sent internationally. And so uh, we have a that product. We have professional services where we come in with educators and business and that. So the book has been in play for a very long time. For a very long time. The book is actually a combination of my experiences as well as what I think needs to happen in areas like, yes, absolutely in in inclusion where play can make a change in inclusion, but some fundamental pieces uh, of our global loneliness, this idea that that people are living lonely for longer, you know, that they can be lonely in spaces filled with people. I address in the book, I address things like mental illness and I address our physical ability to play and how our change in spaces. So the amount of room that we're allowed to play in now is so reduced and how that's actually changing the way we react. I talk about great connections to everything from playgrounds to 
what we're doing in our own homes and what we not it's it's not a how to book. It's a what do you think about book? Mm. What do you think about the fact that as we get older, we become less playful? And when was the last time you played? And how is that affecting what you do? And, and it gives some ideas about what we can do to change our spaces, our personal spaces, and then our workspaces and our educational spaces. It highlights the importance of educators. It highlights the importance of helping educators find their play again and returning to this place where they are their most creative and innovative selves, because that's what we want for our kids. It's got interviews with Seth Godin, personal interviews with Seth Godin, and uh, commentary from Daniel Pink. Um, Like I had, I had so, I was so lucky with this book. People wanted to talk about it, and they, the research is, is rich, and the storytelling in the book is rich. So my hope is that people pick it up, and they want it to be on their bedside table and in their briefcase as well. So, yeah, I think that's awesome. I can't wait to read it myself, but check out the book Return to Play anywhere you can get a book. I'm sure you can find that one uh, or just go to the website ampedtoplay.com. That's the number two there, ampedtoplay.com to find more uh, about Brandy Heather. So, Brandy, it's now time to play. So we know that the play can't be forced on anyone. We've talked about it already today. So I will give you the free choice. Would you like to get weird or would you like to walk away? No, let's get weird. All right, here we go. We're sprinting the prize wheel. There are 10 games on the wheel that it could land on. We'll see which one you get. It is awkward questions, awkward questions. Okay, in front of me, I have several questions. I'm going to draw a few for you and see what you have to say to this awkward question. Brandy, if you could send one celebrity to exile on a remote island, who would it be and why? Oh, celebrity. Well... Uh, I've got I've got to start with Brad Pitt. I don't know why that comes to my mind, but I think Brad <laughs> Pitt should be on an island all by himself. Now, I'd like a rowboat so that I I could help because you, you, know, you can't be on an island. island by yourself without play. So <laughs> okay, yeah. I don't I know like where you're going with that one. That's a good yeah. creative. Uh, it's an actually an awkward answer. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about uh, homelessness. Uh, that's why they're called awkward questions. Yeah. We talked about homelessness today. If you were homeless, uh, but could choose any city to live in, what city would you be homeless in? Um, Maui. Oh, yeah. That's a good call. Solid for sure. All right. One more. <laughs> if animals if animals could talk, do you think humans would still eat them? Oh, yes, we would. <laughs> I think we would. It's a popular right? answer. I've asked that one a, a couple of times outside of the podcast, and I've still gotten <laughs> yes to that. It surprises me. <laughs> yeah, there's certain things, you know, I think we'd have to go backwards to go forwards on that one. It's like if they talk from the beginning. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So they would probably still eat them. Yeah. Uh, because we're, we're at the point now where we're not seeing the animals anyway, right? Yeah. We're seeing the byproducts. Yeah. Exactly. So it probably wouldn't change a whole lot if they just started talking tomorrow. Uh, now, salad starts to talk. I'm okay with that. Then we're in trouble. No, I yeah. was going to say, uh, yeah, if plants start talking, then we we definitely need to check out what we're doing with the environment. I agree. Uh, but I really appreciate you being on the podcast, Brandy. Any final thoughts for us? Uh, just a, a shout out to get out there and return to play. It's, uh, it, it is a vital part of who we are and, and who we can be. I love it. Again, Brandy Heather, find her at amped2play.com. Check out the new book, Return to Play, wherever you can get books. I'm Mike Montague, and uh, I'm at playfulhumans.com. 
You can take a personality quiz at playfulhumans.com slash quiz. Find out how playful you are and what type of playful personality you have. Do you like to be athletic and run and move? Or do you like to paint and draw and solve puzzles? You can find that out at playfulhumans.com. And uh, as always, whatever you are, be a good one. That's what I always say. Don't wait for tomorrow. Live for today. Keep on chasing the sunshine. And go out and play. Go play, everybody. <laughs>